Well, if you don't know this already, you're going to know it again, but Jesus is the Lord of creation. Jesus is the source of reconciliation. He's the reason for our hope. Jesus is the strength to live a new life. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is 100% fully God. Jesus is the reason the cosmos exists and holds it all together. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the resurrected one. Jesus is the peacemaker between God and humanity. Jesus is the one who works mightily in us. I have said this passage, kind of a little bit of a a declaration the last number of weeks, and it's, I believe, from the book of Corinthians, chapter 1, kind of broken down into those statements of who Jesus is. And so the last summer, as we finished off summer, we talked about Jesus performing the four messianic miracles, the only miracles that was believed that the Messiah could actually perform. And so the next few months, as we lead up to Christmas, minus two Sundays between Thanksgiving and um, October 3rd, uh, we want to talk about a new series uh, this, this coming day or this coming season or this fall season. And we're calling it the Jesus Method. And Chad, you can find that slide. It just says the Jesus Method on it. Nothing too fancy on the slide. But help us get our eyes and ears and attention focused on how does Jesus do things? In particular, how did Jesus change the world? And some of you are wondering, did he actually do that? The answer is yes. But how did Jesus change the world? And we're going to talk about how he did that. We're also going to talk about who he used, and that's kind of where we're going to start today. We're going to talk about the people that he chose to change the world. We're going to talk about the who, okay? Not the guess who, although Bill probably would like that. We're going to talk about not just the who, but we're going to talk about who God chose to use to change the world. I don't know if you know this, but if you follow Jesus, you put your faith in him, you probably do know this, that God was in Christ, and that he is reconciling the world to himself. That's God's plan. God wants to use Jesus to be the bridge between humanity, between you and me, between our community, between our church, between our nation, between our world, every person that breathes life, every person that's about to breathe life, and even every person that's about to breathe their last breath, God wants to know them. And they want them to know God. And he is reconciling, he's bringing together what was separated. That is the purpose of Jesus. That is what Jesus came to do. And so how did Jesus do that? We want to answer that question this fall. How did Jesus begin to reconcile people back to God? Does that sound okay to you? If it doesn't sound okay to you, you can pull out your phone and do a crossword puzzle or something. Or just check Facebook the next few months. But I want to know, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus begin to reconcile people back to God. If Jesus is all of these wonderful things we say, we sing, and believe, then how do we get more people to understand that they're loved by God and that God has given them a purpose in this life? How do we help people understand that? How do we reach those that are farther from God? I would say if we're in this room, if we're watching today, we have already taken a step closer to God. We've, whether through curiosity, whether through a lifelong faith or a lifelong commitment of faith, We have taken a step closer to God in Jesus. And so I would love to extend that invitation to others, and we want to discover how to do that. So today we're going to talk about the who. 
Reconciliation is why Jesus came. So let's look at the people that he chose. Because when people chose people to follow him, something amazing happened. They went through a transformation. And we're going to talk about in just a moment who those people were and why this transformation was so significant because of the people he chose. But here's what happens when someone is transformed by the power of Jesus. Are you ready? When someone's transformed, it is something that is continual. It's something that continues to go on and on and on. As long as we continue to choose Jesus, the process of transformation, the process of regeneration, the process of becoming more like him is continuous. It's ongoing. It never stops. I think that's one thing of sitting with some of the oldest people that I've been around that have served Jesus their entire lives. One of the key factors and common denominators between those people is that they never stopped taking a step closer to God. They never stopped reading the Word. They never stopped, even though they've read it back to front and front to back multiple times, they never stopped following Jesus and getting closer to God. So following Jesus, transformation is continuous. I also believe that transformation is contagious, kind of like COVID-19, kind of like the average cold and flu these days. Kids are back in school. It's contagious. It's everywhere. Following Jesus, being transformed by him should be contagious. If it's not, you're probably not doing it right. Maybe you are, and it's okay. We'll talk about that as the weeks go on. And as well, I think our faith is compelling. I think at the very least, it's going to pique a curiosity. As, as people watch our lives transform and as people watch our lives change, there's a curiosity that comes and there's something compelling about our transformation that takes place. And we want to share these things with the world around us. If we truly want to pray and believe, God, see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we need to experience this regeneration as individuals. And that word today is, now I, let me hear you, let me just be, let me pause here. I very much believe in community of faith. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be a pastor of a church. But I believe that God has called us to live out our faith together. And we're, we're challenged, right? Iron sharpens iron. I become a better Christian every time I sit around the campfire with Greg. And I become a better follower of Jesus every time I sit with our youth leaders. And I'm challenged. I become a better follower of Jesus when I talk to somebody who is new in their faith, and they have all the questions, and you have to kind of go back, and so I'll have to figure out how to answer these questions. We need one another in community. But let me tell you this. As much as we come to Jesus in community, it very much is a personal choice that has to be made. We ourselves as individuals have to go through regeneration. We have to individually be transformed and make that choice. I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but that's okay. We can change our behaviors all that we want, right? We can say the right words. We can sing the right songs. We can even wear the right kinds of clothes to look like everybody else. We can even raise our hands and worship and sing and praise like some of you did this morning already. We can do all of those things, but unless a transformation or a change is taking place on the inside, unless we have personally chosen to make that decision, then it's all for nothing. Now, let me pause and, again, have another little pause and go down this rabbit trail a little bit more. I will also tell you this, that maybe you're not quite there yet, or you're on the way, or as we all are, but maybe you're kind of entering into this journey. 
And so maybe you're learning how to pray. Maybe you're learning how to worship. And you're kind of on this way to make this journey. And so you see other people praying. And you see other people raising their hands. And you see other people singing the words to these songs. Am I going to tell you to not do that if you're not ready to follow Jesus? No, I'm going to tell you to do that. Because what you begin to do is to train even the muscles in your body to worship God. You begin to start in the process that can lead to an internal transformation. And so I don't want to discount anyone who's on that journey this morning as well. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus came to bring us back to God. And he does that by taking all of us, no matter where we're at, and transforming us. And that transformation is continuous, it's contagious, and compelling. Someone say compelling. Well, that was all of you. That was awesome. Someone say contagious. And don't say that one too loud. And finally, someone say continuous. Oh, I think you can do a little bit better. Continuous. I'm not looking at my phone this morning, but I'm assuming that somebody has put in the comments those words already. Continuous, contagious, and compelling. All right, we got this down for the next few weeks. I'm going to ask some of you to get ready, not for today, but in the next few weeks, because I want... I want other people to hear from other people, all right? Because I believe that some of you have some incredible stories about Jesus. I believe that some of you have had some incredible, and maybe these are stories that happened years ago. Um, Like, I know Glory's got, like, amazing stories from her childhood that some of them are hilarious, okay? I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this one, but Glory, if I ever have the honor in, like, 100 years from now to do your funeral, I'm going to tell this story, but when we gather around Glory's graveside for her service, let me just tell you this. It won't be the first time she's been in the grave. It's a fabulous story. But some of you have some amazing stories to tell of how Jesus has changed your life. And we want to help you share those stories. And what better place than among friends and family to share those stories? And we want to help you be able to share your story of transformation and just share what Jesus has done in your life. And so get ready, because I'm going to ask you. Get ready. If you don't like talking in front of people, technology is amazing. We can, like, record you and just show the video. It's awesome. That might even be better, in fact. Uh, But get ready. We want to tell your story, because people relate to different people. Not everybody relates to Pastor Gary. If I talk too much, then... People are going to get tired of me. I'm tired of myself already. So it's good to have a variety of voices because God has given all of us a voice. Plus, your story is contagious. Your story is compelling. It's hard to argue with your story. You followed Jesus because you have had a real experience with him. So tell it. Show it off. All right, I told you we're going to talk about the who today. Really simple verse, really easy to remember. Uh, All you have to remember is these four words. Okay, you ready? Or five words, sorry. Five words. He chose from them 12. All right? He chose from them 12. Think you can do that? Ready? He He chose from them 12. Well, that sounds like a weird thing to say, Pastor Gary. Well, let me read it from Luke chapter 6 this morning. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, and that's the wrong verse. 
but it works. We'll keep going. He spent the night praying to God. When morning came, okay, I guess it relates. I wasn't going to go there, but it's important. Important side note, all right, as we talk about evangelism in the next few weeks, don't do anything unless God tells you to, all right? That's what Jesus is doing here. There's, there's a very quick interpretation. Verse 13, when morning came, he, yeah, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus only had 12 of them. Nope, you're wrong. He had more. Say, what, Pastor Gary, there was more than 12? Yes, there was. But he called 12 of them to himself. And he also designated them apostles. Are you ready for their names? Does anybody think they can name the 12 disciples of Jesus? Does anyone think they can do it? All right, anyone know one of the disciples? Simon. That's one right answer so far. Also known as Peter. Anyone else? Did someone say John as well? All right, I'm going to read it to you. See, because sometimes you just start quoting the names of the Bible, the books of the Bible, and you're wrong. Here they are. Simon, who was named Peter. His brother, anyone know his brother's name? Andrew. Must be the Bible college student back there. Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Altheus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and here's our favorite one, Judas Iscariot, who later became a traitor. All right? Not even Jesus picked the perfect people, okay? But he called from all of the people that were following him, he called all the people that declared that they were disciples of Jesus. Out of the crowds of people, how many people did he choose? Twelve. He chose from them how many? I thought it was ten. Are you sure? Does anybody name them? <laughs> I just did. The moment Jesus calls our disciples is our very first clue to his method. Maybe you picked up on it already. Jesus didn't necessarily start a program. He didn't start a Facebook page. He didn't start a YouTube channel. He didn't open up an Insta Instagram or a TikTok account. Although, if he was here today, he probably would. It's really easy to follow Jesus because you can just follow him on Twitter. But he didn't do any of these things. What, what was his method? He gathered 12 he chose people rather than crowds and multitudes. Well, aren't the multitudes full of people? Yes, they are. But he chose 12 people specifically. Why? We're going to get to that. He started to gather these men ever before, even before he ever organized any sort of miracle movement campaign. He gathered these guys. Now, I should, I should pause and say, as you read through the history he did perform some miracles before all the 12 of them were gathered with him. Just a side note. Brief history lesson. But people were going to be his method. His method to reconcile people to God, he was going to use what? People. Fascinating. And so what kind of people did he use? John and Andrew were the first ones that he called. They were followers of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he was destined to prepare the way for the Messiah. In fact, people thought John the Baptist himself might have been the Messiah, and he says, no, I'm preparing 
the way. In the moment where Jesus actually takes advantage of John's movement to get his movement started. All right, so Jesus definitely cares about the multitudes. Jesus definitely cares about the crowds, which again, I'm getting ahead of myself, because he used a movement, he used the multitudes to get started as well. But when he actually started his ministry, he, he, he joined in with somebody else, his cousin, John the Baptist. And he came and said, I want to be baptized. And he says, Jesus, you should be the one baptizing me. And he says, no, baptize me. And he puts him in the water. He comes up and one of the most amazing moments of my, one of my most favorite stories in the entire Bible takes place right here. Jesus comes out of the water. A dove flies down symbol of the Holy Spirit, and an audible voice from heaven takes place. Does anybody know what that voice said? This is my son who I'm well pleased. This is my son who I'm well pleased. An audible voice from heaven says to Jesus. And side note, what I love about that moment, what I love about the writing of Paul, it says that we have been adopted into God's family. So if you were growing up in church 50 years ago, maybe not even that long, what did people used to call the other Christians? Brothers and sisters. Right? We're all part of God's family. just sounds weird when I go, hey, Brother Nick, what's up? just sounds weird. People don't talk like that. Brother Bill, Sister Brenda, Brother Pastor Gary. I don't know, it just sounds weird. Hey, you, that sounds better. But what I'm amazed is that when we put our faith in Jesus, we become adopted into his family. And do you know what your heavenly father says about you when you have Jesus? Hey, this is my son. That's my daughter who I'm well pleased. Because when I look at you, I don't see your failures. I don't see your past. I don't see your mistakes. I don't see who maybe you even think you are. But I see my son and I'm well pleased with what I see. What I see is very good. He's well pleased. Isn't that amazing? If that's not compelling enough, all right, if that's not compelling enough, then you just have a hard heart this morning. Okay, Gary, you could give a better argument than that. You're right, I probably could. But these are the people he selected, John and Andrew, followers of John the Baptist. He went and reached out to his brother, Peter. He said, Peter, you have got to meet this guy. He went running to his brother. Peter, you have got to come follow this guy. You remember John the Baptist, the guy that I've been following? Peter, you've got to meet his cousin Jesus. Andrew reaches Peter. And we can go through and, and Philip, he's sitting under the tree and he has this vision of the Messiah and he gets called and he follows Jesus. He's compelled. There's, there's something exciting happening. It's contagious. There's something new that is taking place and he wants to be a part of it. And this was not a hurry in selection, but there was determination. I reread the first year of Jesus' ministry. He starts to see people, and he starts to call them. And some of them, and all of them, you find out they, he calls them out of their profession. He calls them out of what they are doing, what their livelihoods are, out of what they're wrapped up in their identity. We, he calls the fishermen, and you know they're a family of fishermen. Their dads were fishermen, so they're going to become fishermen. And their kids are going to become fishermen. And he says, no longer have I called you to be fishers of, of, of fish, but I've called you to be fishers of men. He changes their destiny. He changes their purpose in life. And there's so many people that are just walking in day in and day out, lacking so much purpose, wondering why they exist on this earth. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, I got a better plan for you. I got something better for you. Why don't you discover what I have? 
Because what I have is exciting. What I have is eternal. What I have is contagious. And what I have is continual. And what I have is exciting. All right, go back to my notes. I'll never forget, I was a young youth pastor once. Now I'm just a young lead pastor. Still pretty sure I'm the youngest adult in the room, so that's okay. No, Katie and Brandon are here. I lied. So good to have them here. I'll never forget, though, young youth pastor. And Pastor Katie and I have had these discussions. That's why she's got an amazing team with her now. But I'll never forget sitting at a coffee table in Stratford, Ontario. And uh, so our district youth director, he's like a veteran of youth ministry, has been doing it for like 30 years at the time. And I'm like this young guy who knows everything. Not really. And he says, Gary, tell me about your ministry. Tell me about what you're doing. So I start talking about all the fun things that we do. And he's like, well, where do you come up with these ideas? And, you know, I share. I mean, I wasn't, like, phenomenal. I knew that. I knew that I had a lot to learn. I still do, by the way. And he said to me, he says, why don't you pause for a second, and why don't you look at how Jesus did what he did? I said, well, what do you mean, Mark? And he said, well, you're trying to get 101 kids. Actually, it was like 10, but no. Sounds better when you say it's more. To all do the same thing, but he says 90% of them are there for the fun. Only 10% are, are actually willing. And he said, to me that it's, he said something to me that has stuck with me from that, from that very moment. Is He says that discipleship, people who truly want to follow Jesus and be transformed by his power, People that actually want to give their lives in service for the Lord. He said, is simply for the willing. He says, your faith may be compelling. It may even become contagious. But when the rubber meets the road, when it comes down to it, you can, you can do amazing events and amazing activities. And you can reach hundreds of people. But at the end of the day, the people who are going to follow you are the ones that are actually willing. The discipleship is for the willing. And that's not something that I've taken lightly. And it's something that we realize today that Jesus was, was choosing followers. He was choosing people who were willing. Because these guys that he chose at first glance, they are not impressive people by any means. In fact, the most impressive one, the most impressive disciple of Jesus was the one who betrayed him. He had the most impressive resume. Oh, I'm really good with money, Jesus. I got connections in Jerusalem, yo. Because it's true. He was, he was the, the brightest, smartest, probably best-looking one out there. I don't know. Those things come in threes, right? If you're smart, you're wealthy, you're also good-looking, apparently. I don't know. There's some, there's some pretty smart, rich, ugly people, too, so... But what's revealing is that none of them, you would have found none of them leading a small group. You would have found none of them leading in the synagogue, none of them serving in the temple, none of them belonged to the, to, to the traditional Jewish Levitical priesthood. None of them were Levites. They were laborers. None of them were exceptionally wealthy. Many of them were actually impulsive, temperamental, Easily offended, 
anyone know anyone easily offended? Don't put your hand up. Just give me a wink. Product of their environment. And has anyone heard the expression, they curse like a sailor? Some of them were sailors. Everyday normal dudes. Yet Jesus saw something in them. He saw something in maybe in their simplicity. He saw their potential for leadership in his kingdom. If that's not a method for us to pay attention to, we need to put on the brakes right now. Because how many times do we walk by somebody and go, there's no way God could do anything with that. There's no way. Some of you have surprised me. God, there's no way you could use that person. I'm I'm kind of kidding. He does something with their simplicity. You know, Acts 4.13 reminds us that they were unlearned and they were ignorant. But I think their most important characteristic outweighs their strengths and it outweighs all their flaws. But one of the number one characteristics that Jesus identified in these people who were willing to follow him who were willing to be disciples and were willing to go the distance to put their life on the line for him when the time came, the one thing that he saw in them was that they were teachable. They were teachable. Now, we see Jesus perform many miracles. We see him feed a crowd that is starving, and he gives them bread and fish. And they think it's amazing. And so what do they do? They're like, hey, we follow this guy. We get free food. What do they do? They follow him to the next location. And Jesus says, oh, I got nothing for that. But here, I'll tell you one thing. I'm the bread of life. What I can offer you, and the people kind of go, oh, so this isn't a free buffet anymore? This isn't? Okay, and I'm done. But look at who remained after that series. Very few people remained in that moment. And so Jesus, he takes his time. You know, the guys he chose, they're often slow to comprehend spiritual things. They're mistaken in their judgment, but yet they were honest and they were willing in their moments of weakness, they were willing to confess their need for Jesus. And it wasn't that Jesus belittled them. It wasn't that Jesus made them feel small. It wasn't that he talked down for them. He just continued to share wisdom. He continued to share truth. And he continued to do it in a way that showed them so much grace and love that they responded with their confession. They responded with a genuine desire. Hey, this guy is for me. Hey, Jesus is for me. Jesus actually wants something better for my life. He actually wants to take me somewhere different than I am right now. And so they willingly followed. He went for people who were willing. They were sincere in their faith. They were sincere in their hunger for God. They weren't looking for a platform. They weren't looking to become aristocrats. They weren't looking to become wealthy. They were looking for something real, and they were willing to follow a leader to lead them into salvation. The entire world at that time was waiting for the Messiah, waiting for salvation. Our entire world today is waiting and looking for hope. Tomorrow, as people go to the polls, they're going to vote for a candidate that gives them the most hope for a great future for Canada. I'm thankful for democracy, but we've got to stop putting our faith in men and women. We've got to put our faith in Jesus. 
Because the government can make every single right decision and our life can still end up miserable. But here's the thing, when I follow Jesus, my life can be miserable, but in the middle of my misery, I can still have joy. I can still have celebration. Jesus consecrate, consecrated, he concentrated on a few. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus can use anyone who wants to be used. But there's a very practical truth of how Jesus did use his people. He wasn't exclusive. There were many who considered themselves associates and followers, but he chose 12 specific followers. A manageable number, a practical application. Hey, we're going to be moving about. It's really hard to move a crowd. Small group of people, it's manageable. It's a good team. You know, people can look, some guys can look after this, some can do that. We're going to travel together. There's a real practical reason to this. Jesus ministered to the masses. He didn't forget the crowds. He didn't say, I'm just focusing on these guys. But he didn't spend his time with the crowd. He spent his time closely with the disciples. A manageable number. And here's the lesson that we learned is that you cannot transform the world without first transforming the individual. Right? It'd be, it'd be awesome to see a crowd. It'd be awesome if the church grew so big we'd have to like use the arena every week for church. That'd be awesome, right? Well, how do we get there? One individual at a time. One transformation at a time. One person at a time. If I were to ask you, that's a really cool picture to see, but if I were to ask you, okay, uh, okay, Corey, next week you arrange church at the arena and make sure everybody's there, all right? And when we get there, make sure everyone's singing as loud as they can. Make sure everyone's raising their hands and make sure everyone gives something in the offering. Make sure everyone is doing something to help somebody else, okay? Can you do that by next week, Corey? <laughs> you can't. But if I said to you, Corey... Hey, Corey, next week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring a friend to church. Okay? And when you come to church with that friend, when you raise your hands, you show them why you're raising your hands. And when you get here, Nancy's going to give you a cup of coffee. Make sure she gives you two, all right? One for you and your friend. And when you put a little bit of money in the offering, make sure you tell them why and what you're giving towards. Can you handle that? Just say, just, you say yes. I believe in you. I'm not telling you to do that. But it's manageable. You can do that. You could do that. Say, hey, um, I'm going to watch church in my living room next week. Why don't you come over? We'll have breakfast together. And you can watch with me. That's manageable. Again, it's not about that behavior. But it's a moment to lead someone into transformation. And all of a sudden, now you have two. Right? Over time, there's two people coming. So then two of you bring in another two friends. That's four. You fill the table by now. In case you're, in case you're online, you might not know, we, we set up tables and chairs in here this morning. We changed it up a little bit. Why did we change it up? Do you guys like, is it okay having tables? Is that helpful? Is that comfortable? Or do, whatever, you tell me later. We changed it up. It's good to change it up once in a while. He picked a strategy that was effective. The beautiful part of this strategy is this. It didn't matter what anyone else thought of him. It didn't matter what anyone else did to him. 
because he sought to complete his goal of reconciling people through God one life at a time. Three lives at a time. And 12 lives at a time. You know, even amongst the 12, Jesus kind of had three closest friends. Kind of his inner circle. And yet he changed the world with 12 people. He changed the world with 12 people. He continuously ministered to the crowds. He continually did what the culture did to worship. He continually did those things. But when it came to the moment of discipleship, and it came to the moment of evangelism, and it came to the moment of expanding his circle, he focused on a very small group of people. He was intentional. He was strategic. And he showed them an incredible amount of grace, an incredible amount of kindness. In fact, he was so sold out to this method, John 6.15 tells us that the crowds loved him so much, they wanted to force him and march into Jerusalem and make him king. And he said, no way. That's not what I came to do. I came to set up a spiritual kingdom. He could have started the physical resolution, but he, revolution, but he was aiming much higher than that because earthly kingdoms come and go. But he was looking for something more meaningful, something much larger than a kingdom. He was looking for a complete transformation of all people. He didn't play to the galleries. He didn't do what people told him to do because his mission was clear. His method was not to impress the, impress the crowd. He was trying to usher in a kingdom. Now, I don't know if you know this. People love to get on a bandwagon still. And you get on the bandwagon and say, this is the way, and that is the way. And then sometimes they're right, and many times they're, they're not. But you look at all the followers of Jesus, especially in the early church. I mean, there was just a mass explosion because they experienced something that was incredibly real, something that was incredibly genuine. Their circumstances got really tough but their faith continually grew stronger because the transformation they experienced continued to draw them closer to God. It was contagious to others because they finally found a real hope. Today, I'm inviting you, believe it or not, if you're ready for this, I'm inviting you to become a world changer. I'm inviting you to be a sold-out follower of Jesus. He's invited you to his family but being transformed is contagious, and so he's inviting you to continually move his mission on of reconciling people back to God. I don't know if you think you are smart, wealthy, or pretty, or if you think of yourself as little unwanted or unworthy. Let me just put all of that aside today and just remember this, that Jesus looks at you. He looks you right in the eye. He looks you right in the heart. And he says, if you follow me, you're worthy. You will be my son. You will be my daughter. And I will be well pleased with you. I don't care about all the other stuff. Because the more you get to know me, the more you're going to be compelled by my love. You're going to be transformed by my love. The more you're transformed, the more grace that you feel, the more love that you feel, the more you feel a part of the family. The stuff that you're worried about that's keeping you from God, it's going to disappear. It's going to go away. Because you're going to confess it, and I'm going to throw it as far away as the east is from the west. 
I'm going to forgive it, and I'm going to forgive you, and it's going to be gone and forgotten from my mind forever. So don't worry about that. Worry about it in the sense of bring it to Jesus and he'll take care of it for you. But there's none of us that remains unworthy to be used by God because he is using people to transform people. If you're looking to reach those that are far from God, just start with one person. Go find a person that is willing. And if they don't want to listen to you, give them a hug or elbow, high five, whatever you do these days, and go find someone else. Because discipleship is for the willing. Sound good? Are you with me? He chose, how, does anyone remember those five words we started with? He chose from them 12. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life, O oh God, on this earth. Lord, to show us what true love really is. To show us what it means to be loved by God. Here was a man who willingly laid down his life. Not just for his friends, but for his enemies. Lord, as we experience, Lord, the next few weeks, the Jesus method of reaching people. Lord, I pray now, even as I'm praying here in this moment. Pray, Lord, as we close our eyes, would you put a name, Lord, in our thoughts? As we close our eyes, would you put a face of a person in front of us, of somebody that you see, oh God? Because, Lord, right now we're asking, we're asking you to put the right person in our path that we can reach out to today. Someone that is willing, someone that is teachable, someone who's ready, oh God, to hear from you. Lord, for all of us today, I pray that you would continue to refine us and continue to transform us. Lord, in a way that would be contagious and attractive to others, that they too would know that they can be saved by the grace of God. Lord, would you put that name and the face of the person in front of us now? Lord, if someone that maybe is just hurting and broken and just needs to be, Lord, just completely transformed by your love. Maybe somebody that's just totally not interested, oh God, but you know their heart and you know that they're ready and willing. Lord, would you go before us with your Holy Spirit? Lord, as Jesus on the morning of, he prayed. Lord, the night before, he prayed. Lord, now would we remember, take some time today, take some time in this moment. Remind us, O oh God, to pray. Lord, for those we haven't even met or invited yet. Lord, and I continue, lift up, Lord, our congregation and our church and our family to you. Lord, we know that you have set this church here in this community on the North Shore for a purpose. Lord, you have continually blessed us, continually used us to be a blessing. And so, Lord, may we continue to be faithful to our call to serve you, to honor you in all that we say and do. But, Lord, may we be faithful in our call to expand your kingdom here on this earth, O oh Lord. May we continue to bring hope. May we continue to bring heaven to earth, Lord, as we are your hands and your feet. I thank you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed this morning. And I am excited to see and hear from you. And I'm excited to hear your stories of transformation in the weeks to come. If you want to volunteer right away, talk to me right away and we'll make something happen. We want to share your story of Jesus with others. God bless today.